bet they're really getting confidence now. All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of Cuddy and the Cooge. We have a fun and unique episode today. We will be talking a bit about our usual sports and athletic training, but we got some fun features in here, such as the pepperoni roll, which is a staple in our family and in our guest family as well. So looking forward to that. My mouth's watering thinking about one, actually. I know. I, I, uh, <laughs> I've, I've ate a bunch of them in my, my day. Yeah. As my body will attest to. <laughs> uh, and they are always good. Uh, and I still say, and our guest here, uh, which I'll introduce in a minute, uh, her family ran a bakery that made some really delicious pepperoni rolls throughout the years, which I've had many of those as well. But I will say my mother probably had the best pepperoni rolls of anybody. Definitely. Um, I'm a little biased, but hers were really, really good. <laughs> But anyway, um, it's good to have Marisa Burnett on our podcast. Um, we kind of go back many years, even though I'm a lot older uh, <laughs> and I didn't have as much time to spend with you in our career or my career as in your career. Uh, but uh, welcome. Uh, it's a pleasure having you. We thank you for taking time to join Cuddy and the Cooge. Thank you very much, Jerry and Megan. It is a pleasure to be able to be with you all today. And yeah, Jerry, our our families definitely go way back together, and uh, and we kind of paralleled each other in in our time at West Virginia. And, and you got in and out before I did, but yes, we're we're always mountaineers out there in the athletic training world. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, before we jump into career, let's start with. Your upbringing and pepperoni rolls. So let's start with, you know, kind of, I mean, everybody on the podcast, I think, knows where the Cuddy over here is from. Um, same, are you Monongah or Fairmont? I'm actually Clarksburg. Okay. Just about uh, 20 minutes uh, south of uh, Monongah. My aunt and uncle lived in Monongah. I was, I was friends with um, your grandma and grandpa. Yeah. So tell us a bit about the bakery and growing up in a family-owned business and tell us, tell our listeners about the pepperoni roll. <laughs> well, thank, thank you for the opportunity because um, our family owned Tomorrow's Bakery in Clarksburg, West Virginia uh, for 108 years. Wow. It was in our family. Um, my brother and I was fourth generation uh, running it with my mother after my father passed away up until um, last year, we actually uh, sold the bakery. My mother was finally able to retire at 81 years old. Wow. Um, and, uh, you know, my brother and I have had separate careers in addition to running our family's uh, business with our mother for the last 30, 32 years almost. So it is the oldest Italian bread bakery in West Virginia which we can say that without a doubt. Now, the, the question comes as to who was the first to make the pepperoni roll in West Virginia? <laughs> and that's where my uh, my grandfather finally said, you know, we both kind of did it at the same time. We know we're the oldest, so the other bakery can say they were the first to make it. But the pepperoni roll was, you know, actually made for the coal miners in West Virginia, um, so they would have something of sustenance to take down into the mines that would, you know, last them throughout their workday. They used to come to the bakery and buy a hot loaf of bread, and then they'd go down to the market and buy a stick of pepperoni. And, you know, again, uh, my grandfather and and another guy uh, in Fairmont uh, decided that, you know, they could stick that pepperoni in the bed, bread and and bake it. Um, make like a little handheld sandwich. So it was small enough to put in their lunch boxes um, and take down into the mines. And, you know, they could take quite a few of them to to keep them going throughout the day. Yeah. 
It's so crazy because it's so simple, but it's so good. <laughs> like there's just something about it. I think it's the bread, you know, the like the bread and the the whole experience. It's just so delicious. And you tell people like, well, it's just like pepperoni and bread, but it's not. There's something like more good about it. I don't know how to explain it. It's it's baked with a lot of love. That's what it is. Exactly. <laughs> but yeah, well, the pepperoni, I, you know, everybody at home, obviously the best way to eat a pepperoni roll is right out of the oven. You know, mm -hmm. so we, we would have lines, especially Sunday mornings after uh, church, we would have lines out of the bakery for people that, you know, wanted hot pepperoni rolls. Mm -hmm. And the funny thing, when I would work in the bakery, you know, it's, you try to wipe the grease off, that makes people mad. They want the grease. Yeah. <laughs> they want it rolled in the grease, in the good pepperoni <laughs> grease, the bread, you know. So it it is. It's the bread and, and you know, the combination of the greases that are released yeah. during the baking process, too, that make it so good. Yeah. And it and it's got to be the, the, you know, the sticks of pepperoni, not the not the sliced pepperoni that you put in a sandwich. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's the key to them too. It, it, uh, <laughs> yeah, yep. it may, cause I've had both, you know, and you, you pull into some of the convenience stores in West Virginia and, oh, they got pepperoni rolls and I grab one, take it to the car and eat it on the way back to Pittsburgh. And it's got that sliced pepperoni and it's just not the same, you know, it's, right. uh, yeah, but, I, uh, I was brought up on stick. So I, yep. I'm a firm believer that stick gives it that extra goodness. Yeah. So I noticed, you know, I, I follow you a lot on social media and, and uh, it seemed like the last couple of years that you guys owned the business that you were traveling back and forth quite a bit, right? Uh, kind of wearing probably more than two hats, but at least two hats being half Baker, half athletic trainer. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. The, la the last few years, um, I would say, gosh, Probably from 2013 on, you know, unfortunately, my mother uh, had some health issues. And again, my brother owns his own business in, in the audiovisual uh, territory in uh, West Virginia. Luckily, his business is right beside our bakery, you know, so that helped a lot as well. But I did have to go back and forth uh, quite a bit um, to, to help, you know, run the business as, you know, my mom had some health issues that we had to deal with. And, uh, especially the last five years, <clears throat> I was pretty much up there. At one point I went up, I thought for maybe a month or two, and I ended up being there about two years, but luckily it was at a point where, you know, I could, uh, work remotely, which was good. And, uh, yeah, I felt like I had a few hats on because I was also on the NATA board of directors uh, as well. So it was uh, definitely a fun juggling act, but uh, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't trade it uh, for the world. I, I got to do a lot uh, with the bakery. I also ran our um, online shipping business, which you know I I took that on because again I could do that from anywhere in the country or anywhere in the world, really. Um, you know, so we shipped our products uh, nationally through an online site as well. Yeah, I did a few of those. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how do you how do you feel now about you know the selling the bakery and the next step kind of for that you know taking it out of the generation of your family? I'm sure it was a huge decision. Oh, it it definitely was, and uh, it was long overdue. Like I said, we wanted my mom to be able to retire way before eighty one, but you know she had this deep love for it as well, and and we were all very proud that after my father passed away, that we were able to keep the bakery going, you know, for another thirty thirty years, basically. So yeah, it was bittersweet, um, but at the same time, it was time. And just knowing that the name was going to continue on um, and, you know, the bakery would still be there, um, it, you know, it, it's it's nice to know and still hear that people, you know, travel and as they travel through, uh, stop at the bakery. And, you know, we, we did sell it to a, a family that's been a longtime family, a, you know, a very nice family in Clarksburg. 
that has deep roots there as well. Did you ever think about taking it over yourself? I did. Well, I'll answer that yes and no. Um, <laughs> you know, my brother and I talked about the possibility. We were always approached from people in different states that wanted to bring it to their state. So, you know, we were approached about franchising and, um, you know, it, again, it was interesting, but at the same time, you know, my, my love is definitely athletic training and I was pretty entrenched, uh, in that, you know, so trying to, to juggle both, I, we, ju we just felt like, you know, we needed to give it to somebody that could dedicate one, you know, 100 plus percent, um, to the business. Yeah. Well, and you know, the other thing we're talking about franchising, I always thought when I moved to, to Vegas years ago, we talked about pepperoni rolls. And I remember I used to tell my mother, you know, you, you should come out here. You, you, once my dad retired, you should come out here and, and, and just make pepperoni rolls. I said, I think it'll really catch on. And you know, what's interesting. My mother came out, you know, she never would fly, but <laughs> so when my dad would drive her out there, she would come out and she would make pepperoni rolls for our kids or for us, you know, and she, she never liked the way they turned out. She said had something to do with the dough, had something to do with the pepperoni and the yeast and all that. They never were the same as they were making them back in West Virginia for some reason. That That's kind of, you know, I don't know if it's weird or coincidental or whatever, but had something to do with what's in the water in West Virginia, I guess. Bingo. It is yeah. definitely the water because, uh, shortly before my dad died, you know, he came down to visit me in Florida and he was thinking about opening, you know, a, a bakery down here in Florida. But, you know, the more he researched and, and talked to other uh, businesses and bakeries down here, it is definitely the water. And uh, he knew that our uh, recipe would not be, you know, it wouldn't taste the same. Like your mother said, uh, because the water is so different down here. We actually yeah. have a New York bagel company move into Orlando area. And for about three months, they tried to, you know, make their bagels like they normally would in, in New York. And finally, they figured out that they pretty much had to shut down and add an entire water filtration section to their bakery just to get the mm -hmm. type of water that they needed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Water's a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> and well, West Virginia water is really good. Yeah, that's right. Well, let's jump into your career a bit. That was a little good transition from, uh, you know, bakery, being entrenched in athletics. And sounds like you went to WVU. Is that correct? Uh, yes, I am a diehard mountaineer. Um, you know, I uh, wanted to go to WVU to play basketball. I played basketball in high school and, um, you know, tried real hard to get coach Kitty Blakemore to recruit me, but, uh, I was a little too fun size for her. <laughs> so I, I, I started out, actually, I got a basketball scholarship to a smaller college, um, just, uh, in Maryland and Garrett County. And I played there for a year when that's when I really, decided that, you know, I, I want to go into athletic training to combine my love for sports medicine and athletic training and, and, you know, athletics. Now, the funny thing is, I will tell you, before I went to play basketball there, I told Coach Kitty Blakeboer that I would be back at West Virginia and I'd be part of her, her team someday. Yeah. So it was really fun for me when I got into the athletic training program. And uh, at that time, Sam Booth was the uh, head athletic trainer for women's basketball. And she uh, uh, had me as one of the student athletic trainers. So the first day of practice, I walked onto the court and I walked up to Coach Kitty and said, I don't, I don't know if you remember me, but I told you I was going to be a part of your team someday. I'm, I'm your new <laughs> athletic training student. And uh, she remembered and, you know, it was, it was fun. So we, we had a little bit of fun there with that. The, the first couple weeks there. Hey, those, those fun size players make good point guards though. So that's what I tried to tell you her. Know? But she wanted a little <laughs> taller point guard. So. 
Kitty was, you know, Kitty was the legendary women's basketball coach at West Virginia. Passed, passed away a year ago, something like yeah. that. Yeah. And um, I was on the CPAS, which is no longer in existence, um, visiting committee. Uh, and that, that was pretty cool. It was like four years, and they bring different people on there. And and uh, we kind of, you know, helped the students that were in CPAS. And, and, uh, and Kitty was on that committee, so I got to know her. I didn't really know her that much when I went to WVU, even though she was the women's basketball coach, because... I spend most of my time down at old Mountaineer stadium mm-hmm. and, uh, but it was, she really was a nice lady and I really enjoyed sitting and chatting with her, you know, during that three or four years that I was on that committee. But speaking of legendary and, and I, you know, I want to get into a little bit of your career, but my goodness, you know, over time you've accomplished a whole heck of a lot. And so congratulations on that. I want to read a few things. Most recently the NATA hall of fame, Congratulations. And for our listeners, that's kind of the who's who of athletic training, very prestigious to get into the hall, any Hall of Fame. Um, and so you accomplished that. And I just want to read a few things, and I'm sure there's others that I might miss, but 1982, you were the Clinical Industrial Athletic Trainer of the Year. In 2002, or 1997 and 2002, you were the Athletic Trainer of the Year. 2008, the Athletic Training Association of Florida Hall of Fame. So you're in two Hall of Fames. I'm going to start, I, when we talk to Spike, I, you know, every time he gets into the Hall of Fame, I say, you know, Spike, you're the only person I know that's been into like nine Hall of Fames. <laughs> and he just keeps getting in the, he finds Hall of Fames. In, two, in uh, your NATA Most Distinguished Athletic Trainer Award, uh, you were presented the uh, Board of Certification, Dan Liberius Service Award, June of 2022, the Southeast Athletic Trainers Chuck Kimmel Award of Merit. Uh, and that's just, a, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's other things that you have done, volunteering and charitable work and all those types of things. But congratulations on a, a really great career. I'm, I'm finally glad I get to congratulate you on that. And currently... You're the lead senior athletic trainer and environmental scientist at Batilla. Batilla? Batel. Batel. So tell us about that. What do you do? Well, I could tell you bits and pieces of it. Um, yeah, I'm a contractor <laughs> for, with the government. Um, it, but thank you. Thank you very much for uh, the congratulations. I, uh, I, I appreciate that. And obviously, as you know, I'm sure talking to uh, Spike and everybody that's gotten into the Hall of Fames, we certainly didn't do it by ourselves and have always been surrounded by incredible people, you know, that uh, have lifted us up or, as I like to say, you know, um, pushing us into areas of uncomfortableness. Um, so thank you. I appreciate that. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm very excited. I never dreamed again. I've worked in every setting that I think I could have possibly worked at at, at the time. So I never dreamed I'd be uh, working in the military uh, setting. But at Battelle, I am a, um, a contractor, subject matter expert um, that works with the Navy and Marine Corps Public Health Center as, uh, again, as a subject matter expert. And, you know, we provide preventative uh, medicine, pretty much to make sure that our warfighters are are ready uh, through our public health services. So a lot of it is education, uh, being a part of policies that are established um, and, you know, again, just ensuring that uh, the warfighters are, are ready and that we could decrease, uh, you know, injuries and, and illnesses just as we do with any of our other athletes. So, you know, we're looking at these guys and gals as the, um, you know, pinnacle uh, of, of the athlete as well. And um, just trying to, you know, keep them ready to go. Yeah. You know, when, when I got into the business, you know, many years ago, you had two options. Well, maybe more. You had high school, you had college or professional, and then you had clinical, the sports medicine was just kicking off when I got in. And when I, when I got to Vegas, after my first year there, I had a, uh, a physical therapist that offered me to go into his PT clinic for double of what I was making at, at uh, UNLV. 
And I chose not to because I always wanted to be in the college setting. But now, you know, there, there are so many different opportunities for athletic trainers, which, which I think is really good. And I know, uh, like in your case, you were director of PR and business development, uh, outpatient community service. So that was that like in a hospital or a sports medicine clinic? Which what was that? Uh, yeah, that was actually again another interesting um, uh, career veer. Um, I was that for both a outpatient sports medicine clinics as well as um, home health services. I did a lot of PR and marketing for um, this company actually had both um, specialties that they offered. So, you know, I oversaw the community service events and um, trying to get uh, athletic trainers, you know, to provide services where the community needed it. And then also working with our home health side, um, to work with physicians and, you know, setting up the home health service as well. So, yeah, that was another little interesting veer. You know, I was offered the to come on as the outpatient sports medicine uh, director. And then as I got into it, um, you know, they they said, hey, would, would you help us on this side as well? So I worked for both sides of this one company. Yeah, and then and then I uh, would have been I think after that you were the lead senior athletic trainer for an international corporation, right? Yes. Um, again, government contracting is is very interesting. Uh, that is the company I started with in my current role. Um, they oh, had okay. the contract um, with the public health center. And then most recently, uh, when it was time to renew and award that contract, it went to Battelle. So I'm happy to say that I was able to transition in the same role over to the new company. Yeah, well, you you certainly, you know, have stepped out of the box, right? I mean, how, how do you how, how do you market yourself. I mean, I think for young people that are listeners trying to get into maybe athletic training or that, how do you market yourself as an athletic trainer to go that direction? Or is it just something that you pursued like through job opportunities? Um, that's a great question. And I actually just did a, um, uh, yeah, it was a keynote for one of the master's uh, graduating classes down here. And, you know, one of the things that West Virginia taught me a lot um, was uh, to say yes to opportunities, you know, to make yourself uncomfortable, like I said earlier. And, you know, there's the athletic trainer skill set, as you know, I, I mean, they can go into uh, pretty much any area, I think, with the skill sets that the athletic trainers have and the knowledge and the education, especially now. I mean, these programs have advanced so much since you and I were in the program. And I think a lot of times, you know, these um, companies or, you know, people that you're working with in a volunteer, uh, you know, setting see the work ethic and, you know, the, the dedication, the knowledge, the passion. Um, and, you know, I've been fortunate enough where uh, the opportunities have been presented to me. I just needed to say yes and, and take that chance. But I think also, you know, being able to market yourself and your skill set is huge. And athletic trainers typically historically have been in the background and and preferred it that way but we we are definitely seeing a change um you know with that and you have to you know you have to put yourself out there and and let people know what you can do um if given the opportunity yeah it's yeah. uh it, you know I, I know like from a work life balance you know that that's a lot of athletic trainers, I think, in the traditional settings, colleges specifically, Division One, are really struggling with that work-life balance. And so now they're looking for these other opportunities. I know 
my longtime assistant at uh, UNLV, Kyle Wilson, who took over for me, I'm sure you know Kyle, he, when he got let go at UNLV, you know, he was, you know, he's a traditional athletic trainer, was like paranoid, what am I going to do? And he works for Amazon now. It's kind of like, a, you know, he's, he's a health safety coordinator teaching, educating employees there how to lift and how to not get injured, you know, that type of thing. So the, it, it's, you know, you just got to put yourself out there. And, I, you know, like, like you said, I, I took old Mountaineer thing too. I used to tell our students, no is never a good answer until you try it once, you know. So if somebody asks you to do something, do it. You know, and but don't say no first, you know, so uh, so and I think that that's a good lesson for all these young people coming through that you never know what you're going to fall into. So, yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, I, I tell students also, you may think that when you're finished, you want to be a division one athletic trainer. That's what I thought, you know, that's I wanted to be a division one head athletic trainer and and um I did want to do it at West Virginia though, but Sam Booth kicked me out of there and told me I had to go get a different philosophy because I loved West Virginia so much. I did not want to leave when I was finished, but yeah. uh, thankfully, you know, she, she kicked me out and Spike and, you know, Jack Brodigan and Randy. And um, I ended up down here at Florida state, which at that time we were calling, you know, West Virginia of the South because we yeah. had Bobby Bowden down here and Dave Van Hellinger and, you know, there's a lot of West Virginia people there. So I felt comfortable going there, but, you know, I, I did again, opportunities presented while, when I went to get my master's at Florida state to step into the assistant women's position. But, you know, back then, Megan, they were still really segregated, mm -hmm. especially in the South. So we had a women's athletic training room and a men's athletic training room, but you know, I went in as a graduate assistant and within six months, I was offered the assistant position. And then about another four months later, I was offered the head women's position because the, the head women position was opening up. She was leaving and, you know, um, recommended me. So again, you know, I thought, oh, I've done it. This is what I wanted when I left West Virginia, Division One. And, um, you know, then a couple couple years later, a uh, clinic outpatient clinic position presented itself down here in Orlando, a little, a little warmer than Tallahassee. And, you know, I came down here to interview and heard about the position and, you know, what the, this physical therapist that owned that outpatient clinic then was kind of very forward thinking. And she was just trying to start to get athletic trainers in the theme parks down here. And I said, hmm, that, you know, that sounds interesting. Again, back to the work-life balance, you know, to to have that and not be on 24-7. So, you know, I, I took that opportunity. But again, I left West Virginia thinking I was going to be Division One my whole career. Yeah. Well, that's really cool. And, you know, from our perspective, we've highlighted, you know, some of your, your greats in your career. But are there any particular moments in your career that you felt especially proud of and, you know, personally or made an impact on somebody else's life? Yeah. And, you know, again, that's that's kind of hard. I've, you have so many uh, veers. And when I came to uh, Orlando and worked at this outpatient clinic, you know, I was definitely honored and and proud that I was one of the first athletic trainers to actually be placed out at Disney World. Um, and then Universal Studios was opening up and, you know, and our therapist got the contract to provide uh, preventative services for the stunt people out there, um, which was cool. And then we kind of, we, we kind of captured the third and final theme park and that was SeaWorld. Um, you know, so just having the opportunity again, I never, never dreamed that, um, I would end up, you know, providing, um, athletic training services, preventative services, you know, with the theme parks for the employees and for the stunt, you know, the stunt people, um, you know, that was, that was pretty proud early on in my career, but what I think I'm really proud of is, you know, when I, was able to move up into more administrative roles. 
um, the ability that I had to create jobs for more athletic trainers within our community and to work with the school systems to make sure that we could uh, place athletic trainers uh, into the school systems to you know provide health care for for the student athletes. I'm extremely proud of a couple programs that I developed that I was able to, again, create jobs for athletic trainers to ensure that, you know, the student athletes had uh, an athletic trainer uh, to take care of them. Yeah. And I think really important for everybody in athletic training, because there's, there's a need, there's still a need, as you know, for athletic trainers in a lot of areas. But I remember, I'm not good remembering years, but, you know, something that dawned on me, it, it never, even entered my mind, um, but I had a young lady that came into the training room at UNLV one day and said, "You know, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in athletic training and taking care of injury. You know, we had a program, and so, well, you got to go speak to the director and all this." She said, "Well, I don't, I don't really have time to be in the program, but I just want to come in here and learn." I'm like, well, "What do you want to learn for?" Well, she was a rocket, you know, and you know, performing on the strip with her group of Rockettes, because they have like five different, six different groups or whatever that travel the world. And, um, and so I sat down with her and I'm like, well, you know, and me being, you know, not naive. I'm like, well, what kind of injuries do you get with a Rockette? Like you get up and dance, you know what I mean? But she started telling me like, you know, the different type of injuries that they get, just repetitive stuff, you know, the kickups and, you know, the shoulders and all that stuff. And, uh, so she spent about, I don't know, six, eight months with us. We tried to kind of, you know, give her as much information as we could. And then off she went and hopefully she did some good, at least helping that group. And then another gentleman, guy named Steve McCauley, he was a, you know, Steve, right? Yeah. I was just going to say that. Yeah. He, he branched out and got into all the Cirque shows in vegas and you know provided services to all those performers and he's done that for years and just recently was named as the uh director of sports medicine for the golden knights the hockey team out there so um there's a lot of interesting paths that you can you can follow uh and, and hopefully create either for yourself or somebody else create them but there's still a lot of job opportunities out there Oh, absolutely. And yeah, I'm I'm glad you mentioned Steve. I was sitting here thinking, Steve, when you were talking about that, because, you know, he he did an incredible job out there for, like you said, years and years working with the performing artist. And um, there there are so many opportunities. Again, you know, stealing a quote from Walt Disney, basically, you know, I tell our students, if you can dream it, you can do it. And there's so many athletic training entrepreneurs now, you know, the younger uh, professionals are actually coming out and going, I, I want to be my own boss. You know, I want to start my own thing. And I'm seeing athletic trainers in areas like, you know, I met an athletic trainer that works uh, for a vet and does doggy ACL rehabs, you know, which I was like, wow, okay. Never, never thought of that one. But, you know, again, you take your two passions and, uh, you know, athletic trainer, you can match it up pretty much anywhere. Yeah. Well, speaking of that, you're setting me up for all the good curves here. One of your passions is being a drummer. <laughs> yes, I am yeah. a uh, frustrated rock star. <laughs> <laughs> so well, tell us yeah, a little bit I, about uh, that. You know, my friends set me up pretty much every time we go to a meeting. Um, you know, and I, I don't. Again, I don't say no. You know, if we we're at a karaoke bar or something, you know, one of the, one of the friends usually goes up and talks to the piano player, and then next thing I know, I'm you know on the drums. So. I'm that um, friend. I love love <laughs> playing the drums. And again, it, you know, if I was just starting my career out right now, you know, I I I would say that, you know, one of my favorite rock groups is Hearts and and Foo Fighters right now as well. Um, they could get a twofer out of me if they hired me as their drummer. Then I could also be their athletic trainer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I you know, um, I I. Uh, 
I always think like if, if you, you were born again and you're going, you know, I think ultimate high would be a rock star. I mean, I don't think there's anything like you walk out on a stage in front of like 60,000 people and they're all listening to you. There can't be anything greater than that. You know, I, I don't think, I mean, I'm not a big concert goer. I mean, I like music and stuff. I'm certainly not like you and travel to Tahoe to see the Foo Fighters. But, <laughs> but I think that to me, that would be the ultimate high in life. If you could perform at that level, you know, playing whatever instrument you're playing in front of 60,000 people, that would be pretty cool. Yep, that that sounds like a, a pretty cool job as well. <laughs> yeah. How did you get into drumming? Like, did you grow up doing it or? I actually did. You know, again, another funny story as I was growing up being told things that, you know, I can't do because I'm a girl or you can't, you know, you can't play on my team because you're too short or whatever, but <laughs> I wanted to be in the band and I wanted to play the drums. But at that time, girls weren't really playing the drums. And so the band director tried to tried to get me to play the clarinet, which was horrible. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, no, that's, yeah. that's not, not what I want to do. So, you know, I, I wasn't allowed to be in the band at the time because that's all I wanted to play. But I happened to uh, take the opportunity uh, one day that I saw the band room was left unlocked and I went in and and sat down on the drum set and just started playing because, you know, I, I, I listen to music. I'm more of a, I listen and play. That's how I taught myself. So if you want me to teach you how to play the drums, it's not going to be technical. Believe me, it's going to be, <laughs> you know, we're going to listen to this and play. Uh, and, and the band director walked in and he was looking around. And, you know, of course, when I heard the door open, I jumped up off the set and, he walked in and said, who's, who's playing the drums? And I was just looking around. Nobody else was in there. And, and I said, mm -hmm. oh, that was me. You know, the door was unlocked, wanted to come in. And he was like, no, seriously, who was playing the drums? <laughs> and I told him I was. And then he just stood there and he goes, okay. He goes, I'm going to let you in the band. So at that point, you know, then I was the first girl drummer in the school band. That's, That's really cool. cool. That is really cool. I have a question. This is kind of a personal question, but it might resonate with other people. So I have a one and a half year old daughter. And as a mother to her, how do you like, where did you get your inspiration to like be unique? And just because a girl wasn't doing it, you wanted to do it anyways. Like, where did you find that, that drive for, you know, somebody as somebody raising a young girl to hopefully become a woman who, who would strive to be, I want to encourage her to be unique in that way. Yeah. And, and no, that's a great question. And, and, and what a gift you can give her, you know, by doing that, because uh, yeah, there was, there was a lot of things that, like I said, I was told, nah, you know, no, you know, don't, don't play basketball. Why don't you, why don't you play the piano? And, you know, I did play the piano, but then I got to a point where, you know, I was presented with, I had to make a choice. And of course I was always like, why, you know, why, why do I have to make a choice? Why can't I do both? Um, fortunately, my, you know, both of my parents were very supportive um, after I continuously said, why can't I, you know, why can't I, um, I think initially, you know, they were cautious and it was like, you know, Hey, why don't, why don't you try this? Cause girls can't do this. And then I, I, there was just something in me where I was like, no, I want, I want to do this. You know, I, I, yeah. this is what I want to do. This is what, what I'm passionate about. That's um, really cool. And, and luckily they supported me. You know, yeah. Uh, yeah. now I will say I, you know, I tease my dad up until the day he died that he he probably is the reason that I didn't get to become a rock star <laughs> um, because I was actually offered a job. Again, it's a funny story. You know, when I was playing basketball in Garrett County, we went to a, a, a bar where a band was playing. My friend said, hey, let her get up on the drums. Again, not many girls were playing drums at that point. And at the end of the set, they were going to let me play one song, but they let me play an entire set after I started. And, uh, 
the the manager of the band came over and said, oh, my gosh, we we need you in the band. You know, I have another band in Washington, D.C. You know, will you come join the band in Washington, D.C.? And I, I was ready to go. I was packing up and called my dad and I was so excited. And he said, oh, that's fine. He goes, so you're going to give back your basketball scholarship? And I was like, yeah, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity, you know. I could be on MTV. You never know. <laughs> and MTV was just starting then. And and so he said, why, why don't you think about it? Go to sleep on it. Think about it. And, you know, if you wake up and, and that's what you think you want to do, then, you know, you're going to have to support yourself. And, you know, you're going to have to give the vehicle back that, you know, that, that we got you because you got a basketball scholarship. And, you know, do you think you can live on what that? And I was like, oh man. My dad's the same way, man. (laughs) And and then I said to him, I said, okay, okay, I'm going to finish school. But my mom reminds me because I forgot I said this. I said, you probably just ruined a promising career on MTV. Yeah. (laughs) You know, of course he was like, well, that's okay. It'll still be there once you finish school. Well, um, you know, as a as a woman with these diverse interests and experiences, how do you inspire and encourage the people you work with, student athletes or younger people to pursue their passions maybe beyond a sports career or even in a sports career going a different direction? Like how would you encourage them to maybe find some of the resources or the ways to to take these different paths or even some of that work-life balance to continue playing the drums while you're you're being an adult. Well, I think, you know, it is extremely important that you have that balance and you have a hobby or a passion or something, you know, that you have outside of work as well. And, you know, for a long time, uh, a lot of us said, well, this is, this is my passion. You know, I want to work. I want to work. And for a long time, I did that until I actually achieved getting work-life balance. And then it was like, oh, now I see what everybody's talking about. You know, I could, I can actually, on a Friday night, I can go to a concert because I'm not working a game. Um, you know, so again, they have to have that balance. And, you know, I'll, I'll share with, um, you know, students or early professionals that you have to find that time for yourself too to recharge you know to to refill that cup that also passions your your work as well that you know that we all love because most athletic trainers will tell you that the athletic training doesn't feel like a job to them you know it's it's their career it's their chosen career and it's something that we all love to do so um just you know finding that balance and having an outside hobby and i know as I'm getting closer to retirement. Jerry, maybe you can help me here too. It it seems like you you want to make sure you have hobbies that, you know, when you do finish your work, that there's something for you to do. Yeah. Well, and speaking of work-life balance, you know, when I was an athletic trainer, I had no work-life balances, you know, I mean, for all those years and, you know, my wife raised the kids and, and, and all that. Uh, then I got into administration and I, I tell people the only difference, I still worked as many hours. I just had more of an opportunity to choose my hours because I, I wasn't predicated on practices or coaches changing practice or, you know, traveling and all that kind of stuff. But now that I'm retired, you know, I, I look back on the, that whole career and, and I, I think, how did I do it all? Because being retired, you know, like I, I have so many different things that I want to do around my house or, or, you know, just enjoy. And back when you're working, you just do those things in the limited amount of time you have. And you think, oh, that's great. You know, like you squeeze in like a round of golf, you know, and and, and now I have the time to do it. So it, it's, it's tough. I mean, I, I was talking to an athletic trainer about a month ago and they were talking about work-life balance because he just had a couple kids and stuff. And, and he's telling me all this and, and I'm like, you know, I'm thinking to myself, you know, if I could change your life, I would, but if you want to be in division one athletics, 
and have work-life balance, that's going to, you know, that you may need to find another route the way it is right now, you know? So I, I don't know. I don't know what the answer to all that is, but it, it seems like it's getting time constraints for athletic trainers at the division one level anyway, is getting more and more. I mean, when I first got in it, you were done in May, you know, you gave the kids a, a work at home program for the summer and they came back in August. Now it's, you know, it's 12 months a year. There's really no downtime, you know? And, and uh, so I don't know. I, th I think it's tough. I mean, I think it's tough to try to find that balance if, if you're going to stay in the profession. And for me now being retired, I really even see that more than, than when I was working, you know, but before, well, first of all, I want to go back to what you said about your dad and how he educated you because my daughter tried to slip right through this. <laughs> um, I think it was about two years ago, my daughter, who at the time, um, you know, was not done, didn't have great jobs, you know, financially, just kind of moved here and bought a Peloton. You know, and I'm like, that was not two years ago. Well, whenever it was, it doesn't matter. And I basically said, why are you doing that? It's expensive. And then it costs you every month. Oh, I got to have it. I go, I'm going to work out every day. Guess where the Peloton is right now? It's on Facebook Marketplace. <laughs> okay. Well, Marisa, let me tell you, I was a postpartum with a child. Do you know what it's like to be postpartum with a child? I, exactly. There's a lot less expensive things you can do postpartum <laughs> than buying a Peloton that became a clothes hanger because that's what I told her it was going to become. Yeah. But any, anyway. Hey, Jerry, there, I, there's a lot more things that could be more expensive, too. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, exactly. Don't take her side now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but getting back to you professionally, I, I got I want to ask you this. Uh, two things. You were vice president of the NATA and you obviously was the board of directors for District 9. Takes a lot of a lot of time and, and a lot of energy. I know. I mean, because I, I was the PR person for the NATA way back when. So any desire to be the president. I mean, I think you would be a great president of the NATA with your background and your vision and your, you know, your social skills, social media. I mean, all those types of things Is that ever, ever in your mind. I don't see your name up there. Well, I can vote well, for you now because I'm retired. So <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that vote of confidence. And, and I also want to say that I'm happy to say that uh, NATA had two West Virginia grad PR chairs. So I was fortunate right. to be able to follow a, a couple of you. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, you know, that's something that um, I would certainly look at. It's all about timing, obviously. Um, there was a lot going on in my world these past couple years and, and kind of currently still, you know, transitioning, uh, uh, my mother into different areas of her life. And, um, she, she may be coming down here to spend her time in Florida six months out of the year here. So trying to get her settled, but I absolutely loved serving. Um, many of my mentors before I got onto the board said, um, that that would probably be one of the best experiences of my career. Um, it was. I love working on behalf of our profession and athletic trainers everywhere. Um, so I I wouldn't say, you know, I, I'd never say never. That's for sure. I've learned not to say that. Um, but yeah, you didn't see my name this time because, you know, just it wasn't the right timing. Um, for me, with everything that was going on with, you know, our family business and and our mother and trying to uh, transition with uh, uh, my paying job, you know, stuff yeah. like that. So um, yeah. if the opportunity is there next time around, um, you know, I certainly would look at it and uh, consider to see if I could uh, give it what I, you know, give it the a thousand percent that I'd want to give it. Good. Yeah. Well, let me uh, one last thing. What do you think about the new academic requirements now, the master's degree before you can be certified? I mean, have you any thoughts on that? Like, where do you think that's going to take us? 
I do. And, and I mean, you know, we we're hearing a lot and you see a lot on social media about it's going to be the, you know, uh, demise of our profession. And, um, you, you know, I think it still remains to be seen how it's, um, you know, affecting us. It's improved us. I know a lot of preceptors that have said uh, that were initially concerned about it, have said that, you know, after having students uh, do their rotations with them now that, you know, it's nice to have a more mature student that knows that this is the profession that they want to go into. It's not a stepping stone to get to something else. Um, I think, you know, the education has been, uh, you, you know, lifted up to a different level, like I said, between uh, just the time between you and I and where we're at now, or even, you know, 20 years ago, the stuff that they're learning today, um, yeah, I don't know how to suture. Yeah, right. <laughs> I tried yeah, right. it. <laughs> but, you know, again, we're, we're being lifted up too, because we're having to learn how to do these things as well. So I think, um, you know, I think it's going in a good direction. Uh, I was just at our district meeting um, before the NATA, and we had so many employers exhibiting at our district meeting that we've never had before looking for athletic trainers. Um, and one of the new unique things that I noticed, too, is they're giving sign-on bonuses. You know, athletic yeah. trainers were never received sign-on bonuses, you know, to come take yeah. a job. Um, so I think that it's helped. In some areas, again, um, I, I don't think we're really truly going to uh, know uh, the numbers and how it's affected the numbers wise. But obviously, I mean, the numbers are going to be lower because it's it's an upper level degree now, um, which is in line with most of the other healthcare professions. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, you know, I've been, I, you know, again, I'm I'm not overly involved anymore, but you know, when I first saw it i i hated it because it's like oh no but you you hit on something that my first thought was i remember being you know the athletic trainer at, at unlv and so many kids you know we'd get those first year students that would come in and you know they want to be an athletic trainer and they're testing the waters you know they're not really committed eh, if this is good or bad so they don't show up or they do you know, they don't do what they're supposed to do. And you got to try to coax them along to see, and then they end up falling out of the program. So I thought, well, you eliminate that, which I think is good. And then the only other concern I have is, is how does the division one athletic trainer kind of survive? Like when I, you know, the way I survived the UNLV is not relying so much on students, but we developed this graduate program where we had like seven grad students because they were more mature. They, you know, they had more experience type thing. So I, I think if there's a balance, you know, where you, you filter out the ones that are uncertain and that they didn't want to be in it anyway, and somehow you figure out on the back end just to make sure you have enough staff in place in the traditional settings, I, I think it's going to be really good academically, I think prestigiously. And, and going back to our PR experience, something the NATA has fought for years, getting athletic trainers more recognized as true medical professionals. Uh, so I, I'm like you, though. It's, the, it's not going to happen overnight. It, maybe three or four or five years from now, they'll figure out, well, this was the greatest thing ever, or maybe we have to tweak it and do something different. Right. Right. And and you're absolutely right with uh, as far as division one and, you know, even secondary schools, they're going to have to catch up to where the profession is now. You know, we can no longer operate off of the same models that we did when you and I were, you know, working right. in the collegiate setting. Um, you know, I was invited to speak at a division one school a couple of years ago when this was just getting started. And the head athletic trainer asked me if I'd go in and speak to the athletic director, you know, because at that time it was like, okay, that's, this is when you need to start planning for, there might not be graduate assistance in four or five years, you know, but again, the, um, 
the mentality, the thought process of how we used to do it and how we've done it, you know, for the last 50, 60 years is going to have to catch up with where we are now. You know, why can't they hire, uh, you know, a full-time assistant athletic trainer and, and, you know, wean away from the graduate assistants like right. the programs are going to be forced to do when they're able to do it, you know, with the other staff on their, um, you know, as part of their athletics team. So they're going to have to look at that and they, they need to look at, and I think they're starting to see now that um, a lot of the early professional athletic trainers are choosing not to go there because of the work-life balance and, and the, the salaries are still kind of where they were, you know, when right. you have, a military, you know, one of our forces right now is looking for over 600 athletic trainers to be hired by 2030. That's a lot of athletic trainers that are yeah. getting stable hours and they're being compensated and valued, you know, for being a healthcare professional. Right. So I, I think, you know, this is something I, there's no doubt the NCAA is looking at the, you know, the National High School Federation. They're, they're all looking at this and, and how they're going to have to fund and catch up or, you know, obviously the Division One schools, there should be no reason that they can't, you know, add to the staff because they have more money than the Division Two, the Division Three. Right. But you know, it's something that definitely needs to be looked at. And and you keep hearing, I just saw something on social media yesterday that, you know, uh, a, a school district in North Carolina is, is no longer going to have athletic trainers because the orthopedic practice that was providing them for free is no longer going to be providing them. And so now they're saying they can't find athletic trainers. Well, the true you know, source of the issue is they can't find an athletic trainer that wants to work with for a $2,400 supplement. Right. Mm -hmm. exactly. Yeah. So it's yeah, not right. that the athletic trainers aren't there. They don't want to work a whole year, yeah. you know, 10, 12, 14 hours a day for a $2,400 supplement. Right. Um, you know, so according to the BOC, we have more athletic trainers certified now than we've ever had. You know, we have almost 54,000 athletic trainers with the BOC registered. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Well, Interesting stuff. Before we get to your last sentiment here, I want to turn lemons into lemonade and just say, Peloton, if you're listening and you want to sponsor us, I will ride that damn Peloton every single day. So, no, And I'm saying, <laughs> listeners out there, if you need a Peloton, yeah. now you know where you can get one. <laughs> yeah, cuttyandthecooge at gmail.com. Um, it's on the marketplace, huh? Yeah. Uh, Marisa, one more thing before you go. If you could talk to your young self and not tell yourself to go be a drummer... <laughs> Because that's, but if there was something that you, you know, really got you to where you're at, or you could give a sentiment to, to a young person now, what would it be? Uh, again, I would just say, you know, always say yes to opportunities um, and, and go for it. Um, you know, don't, don't let the fear decide your fate because you never know where you're going to end up. Um, again, my younger self, Never dreamed that I would have had the opportunities throughout my career uh, that I have had. Um, and I wouldn't have had those if I just, you know, stayed where I was comfortable and um, and never say, you know, never say yes. Um, and, and to all the mothers out there like you, I would say continue to encourage your kids um, and, and, you know, step back and really look at what they what they seem to be passionate about. You know, I always uh, try to, whenever my student athletes or friends have a baby, they, you know, by the time they're one, they have a little mini drum set from me, you know, <laughs> so we, we try to start and see what they're interested in, but, <laughs> you know, support them, um, encourage them. Um, sometimes we do need that tough love. Like I said, I needed a little tough love to leave West Virginia. That's the only thing I knew. Um, I didn't want to leave, um, but luckily my mentors um, gave me that tough love that I needed to, you know, 
go spread my wings, learn different philosophies and yeah, and fly. Well, listen, thank you. It's been very interesting. Uh, great catching up with you. Um, I think the last time I saw you and your mom was at a West Virginia football game in, in person. I mean, uh, that's exactly right. Yeah, you and Spike still, were sitting, sitting behind us. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I went with Spike and, and Save and their, their tickets and you guys were sitting below us. And, um, I think I still got that picture. Remember that we took a picture. I still, I have it somewhere. I just, that's why my phone went off, which it normally doesn't, but I have a new phone. I switched from an Android to a Samsung. No, I to mean, to an iPhone. To an iPhone. And I, I'm just, I'm very, very, very novice. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so I might hey, find you, that you picture. Can do it. I yeah, know, yeah. I know. But thank you so Thanks much. Thanks so much. Yeah, it's it's been great seeing you and best yeah, of luck to you. It's been great catching and- up. Thanks for, thanks for the opportunity to be a, a part of your uh, show and um, for um, making sure everybody knows what a pepperoni roll is. That's right. Absolutely. That's our <laughs> life's work right there. <laughs> Thanks so much, Thanks, Marissa. Marissa. Talk to you later. All right. Y'all take care. Thank you. Thanks for listening, everyone. Um, wherever you're streaming this podcast, if you would be so kind as to give us a subscribe and maybe even a review. In addition, you can find us for any updates on social media, Facebook or Instagram. Our handle is at Cuddy and the Cooge, Cuddy with a C, Cooge with a K. Or you can email any questions or submit any feedback to Cuddy and the Cooge at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you.